Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. I love this time of year because the whole world focuses on Jesus, right? The whole world just focuses on him, whether they want to or not. I mean, all the debates, you know, the red cup, what's it got on it? What does it not have on it? All the silly things that go on, you know, the church is really good about having conversations that are not important. And let's learn to have the conversation about Jesus. You know, I want to talk about the purpose of the church collectively, the entire body of Christ on the planet. And I want to look at why Jesus came. It, you know, people tell me, oh, man, that was a great service. I'm like, it's easy to talk about Jesus. You get up and preach about Jesus, and that's just, it's a winner, no matter what. Amen? <laughs> but, I, but there's just some details that I love to focus on because, you know, a lot of, a lot of Christianity misses the power of what really happened in his incarnation. See, we have Emmanuel, God with us. I mean, from the very beginning, God wanted to dwell with his people. He would come in the garden in the cool of the day and he would walk with Adam and Eve because he wanted to be with them. When they messed that up and all of humankind put the veil between themselves and God, he kept trying to. He'd send a prophet. I want to be with you. If you'll go this way, I can be with you. If you'll go this way, I can be with you. If you'll, and that was, that was his whole goal for sending those prophets. And, and even the law, it was like, let's just protect you for a little while till I can get my Messiah in the land so that I can live in you. And, you know, Moses went and delivered the people out of Egypt so God could dwell with them. Jesus has come and delivered us spiritually so God can dwell in us. Huge, huge difference after the cross. You don't need the law anymore. That's what we talked about last week. The law was good. It wasn't that the law was evil, but it was for a purpose. It was to reveal sin and show you you need a Savior. It was to protect the bloodline of the Messiah so that Jesus could come. But now that you've got the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that is a much better teacher than any external law could ever be. It's not that we dishonor the law. It's not that we throw it away. It's just that it can't do what the Holy Spirit in you can do. Amen? The law cannot do for you to your spirit what Jesus' blood has done to your spirit. Cleansed it, sanctified it, left you holy. You know, it's like, I mean, when the blood of Jesus touches something that's just bright and, and glorious, and it's acceptable to God, so he just dives right in. God jumped into you because Jesus cleansed you with his blood. That's the story. God, not just God with us, but God in us. Never before had the planet seen anything like that. Praise God for the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, you know what? Now that I've resurrected, now that I've preached to 500 people and a few people over here and a few people here and I've gone into heaven and I've taken my own blood and cleansed the Holy of Holies, the most important thing that can happen is I leave so that the Holy Spirit can come so that he can be in you and lead you and guide you way better than any human can. You don't need me. You need the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, I just dance around up here and do this foolish preaching thing and point at Jesus, and he makes, every, he makes you look good, right? 
It's because we just get to talk about him. So we've got God in us. The spirit of the living God dwells within you to bring life to your physical body, to lead and guide you into all truth, to tell you exactly what the Father is saying. You ever wonder what God's thinking? God, what are you doing? What are you saying? What's happening? I mean, I understand details and wanting to get direction. There's nothing wrong with that. We should do that. But in general, God is saying, my son. This is what God's saying. You want to know what God's thinking? He's thinking, Jesus. <laughs> See, in the beginning was the word, John 1. 1, and then you go a little bit further down. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then a little further down, the word became flesh. The word word, and you guys heard me preach on this, but it's Christmas, and I'm going to give you the gospel. Amen? Amen? The word word in the original language is the word logos, L-O-G-O-S, logos. It's where we get our word for logic. See, in the beginning, it wasn't like the Bible was in heaven on a table. You know, it's like the Bible's up there floating maybe about six inches off the table and everybody's worshiping the book or something, you know. It wasn't the book. It was the living, breathing logic of God, the way that God thinks. So the logos of someone, it's like, it's like a handshake deal used to be for old timers, you know. It's like, if I give you my word, then I'm going to stick to it. Now, my word has a lot to do with it. I might say something, but those words are only as good as my character. What I've said to you is only as good as me. In fact, they are a representation of who I am, what I'm going to do, whether or not I'm going to back up what I've said. The word that I give you, the logos that I give you, is everything about me embodied in this statement. It's my character. It's, it's the way that I think that I'm going to relate to you. That's what Jesus is. Jesus is the way God thinks in the flesh. Jesus is the logic of God, the way God would treat people, the way God would interact on this planet, the way God communicates with his creation, that the way God thinks manifested as a human. The logic, the logos, the word of God became flesh. And that, that idea of it became flesh is really powerful because what that means is he became a human. So you've heard the debate, well, was he God? Was he man? He was 100% God and he was 100% man. It's like, I think that's a carnal approach because that's looking at it from a physical perspective, trying to define what kind of being he is and all that. What we know is this. Jesus was tempted, right? So we know that temptation is not sin. Don't beat yourself up if you have temptation. Just access grace and walk out of it. Amen? Grace is incredibly powerful. And it will rise up within you when you feel that temptation coming. And it's a choice. It's a choice. God's not magically going to make you overcome something. It's your choice. You can choose temptation or you can choose grace. Because grace is stronger than sin. 
In fact, if you're tempted, it just shows that you're not under grace because you still think that you want something out of this world. So this, this idea of who Jesus is, if you want to know God, you know, because you think about this, right? I mean, I, I like to try to break these things down based on conversations that I have so we can, so we can understand this stuff and, and, and actually apply it to our lives. But like when you think about God, right, you think about the Father, you look at Jesus, and it's like, okay, we have the stories of him. We can see him in action. But then you still kind of think God's way out here, you know. You have to have the only thoughts that you can have in your mind about who God is and, and the character and how he wants to treat you, you have to get it through Jesus. You look to Jesus to understand God. In fact, if there's an area of God, God, the Father, that you're confused about, Look at Jesus to find the meaning of it. You understand what I'm saying? Well, God, I don't, I don't understand why the world's in the condition of the way that it's in. Well, Jesus said things like he'd give the answer and he'd say, okay, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. In other words, I'm not going to force this upon you. You have dominion over this planet. You have dominion over your own heart. I'm going to give you the truth. I'm going to give you what God is saying. Now, which one do you want? By the way, choose life, you know. It's like he gives you the answer. But that's who Jesus is. Jesus is God in the flesh. This phrase in the flesh is interesting because it means he became a human. Limited in every way like you are, yet without sin. That's what scripture says. In fact, this is kind of technical, but it's interesting. Some people will teach that Jesus could not have sinned. Well, then he wasn't in the flesh if he could not have sinned. Do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, he was in the flesh. He was in the capacity of a human. But he was full of the Holy Spirit with the favor of God on him, and he never once gave in to sin. Praise God. I mean, you better thank God for that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because that is the reason he was qualified to be the sacrifice, because he lived sinlessly. There was no spot or wrinkle within him. So when you go to God it better only be with the sacrifice of Jesus in your hands and saying, you, look at this sacrifice. This is my entrance into your presence eternally forever, my Father. The Lamb of God that took your sin and gave you his righteousness. It's totally unfair, totally unbalanced, but that's just, that's just the way God did it. Amen? You can't earn it. You can't unearn it. You just receive it. So we look at Jesus and we realize, man, Jesus came here on a rescue mission. It, it was a rescue mission. It wasn't for him to show you a standard of how you've got to live up to. It's not like the life of Jesus is your standard and you look at it and you say, okay, now I've got to meet the same standard. No, you can't. The law showed you that. That's what the law was for. Then it says, now I'll provide you the way out. Now I'll provide you the lamb. Receive my lamb, receive my son. And so Jesus came for a very, very specific reason, and religion just gets it backwards. Pretty much everything that religion has taught you, just turn it around, and then it'll probably make sense. It's just backwards, all the way around. God's in us. We live from a place of acceptance. Then we live, then we move toward this world from that. So in this exchange, in this sacrifice, Jesus became flesh. The Word of God became flesh. See, 
I don't know if you catch it, but the good news is that because you are in the flesh, meaning you are a human, that means a human has gone before you, someone who was limited to the input of this world and conquered every aspect of this world. Conquered sickness, conquered fear, conquered sin, and when he became your sin and went into the grave, he conquered death as a human. He conquered the enemy as a human so humans could have that victory. It's very clear because in John chapter 17, he says, all right, I'm ready to take back that glory that I had from before when I came here. It's just so interesting when you look at it from the spiritual side. The Antichrist spirit says that Jesus didn't come in the flesh. Now, you know, kind of a surface level interpretation of that would be that the Antichrist says that Jesus never came here. Jesus wasn't really a person. He's just a myth from back then. But what that phrase is really saying to say that, that it's Antichrist to say that Jesus did not come in the flesh is to say that Jesus was different when he was here. He wasn't a human. He was somehow God pretending to be a human. He was somehow different in what you are. Now, see, Jesus, here's the, here's the thing. This is incredible. Those of you that have the Spirit of God living within you, you are just like Jesus was when he was on this planet. You believe that? Yeah. As he is, so are we in this world. Now, we've got this old way of thinking because we still think according to the old dead man sometimes, and that's where the battle is to renew our minds, to be transformed into the image of Christ that you already are spiritually. But we can take great comfort and great confidence in knowing that Jesus has already walked this life for me as me because he died as me. He rose again as me. And when I receive him, I become like him. You know, you're not the Messiah. You're not going to become a God. You're not the firstborn of the Father. You know, I mean, there's very unique things about him that do not apply to you. But as far as you're standing before the Father, it is exactly like Jesus, a son, a daughter, an accepted child. I mean, do you ever get tired of hearing that? I hope not, because I'm going to preach it every week. So then you look at, okay, so then I, that's the spiritual side. What's the physical side? What's the church about? Jesus came to establish his church. Jesus came to, for, so that his body would grow on this planet. Jesus came to indwell us and give us his spirit so that we as a body, as the body, as his hands and feet, as his mouthpiece, as his ambassadors on this planet would go forth and treat people exactly like he treated them. That means you get to be mean to religious people. <laughs> That's, I'm kidding. but Don't back down from the gospel. Man, I'm telling you, we, now more than ever, the gospel is on the, uh, is on the rise, right? Now more than ever, the world is waking up that there actually is a new covenant, that God actually likes people, that God is not mad at you, that God is not holding your sin against you. And we get to go into the world and tell people that. 
There, there's a couple back here. I'm going to call them out. I, I embarrassed her earlier, but it's Brian. I want to say Michelle. Madeline. Madeline. Madeline is from Singapore. She had the honor of being a member in Joseph Prince's church for a while. It was really cool. There's a lot of Joseph Prince fans in here, so everybody's like, oh. <laughs> Especially this one here. He's a teaching junkie, so. But it's like on the other side of the planet, the gospel is affecting the entire world. Finally. It's, it's, not, it's not new. It's just for whatever reason, people are ready for it, right? I think so. I mean, I, I think so. I think it's just time. I don't know why it's time. I'm, this is not an end-time teaching. I stay away from that stuff. I expect good things. I'm in Jesus. When he comes, I'm going whenever that is. <clears throat> but we've got a job to do. And this is our job. It's the same reason that Jesus came here. So I don't, I'm not sure who's back there. Do we have somebody? Oh, okay, yeah. So I want to go with Luke 4.18. And you can put it up in the uh, King James. And it's just this one verse. It's incredibly, incredibly powerful. There's so much going on in this verse. There's so much happening in this moment. But in this moment, it, it is, other than the resurrection, it just the life of Jesus it is the most important moment in human history. That is, God with us. God has become a human to deliver mankind. God is on the planet in a human to reconcile people who would receive him. And he stands up in an insignificant, tiny little synagogue and says, I'm here. And what's amazing is that, you know, they just didn't get it. I mean, so many people missed it. And have you ever heard the teaching or somebody say that Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah? You ever heard people say that? There's, there's, it just depends on which conversations you've heard, but people will, I don't even know why they bring that up, but it's like, no. He was quoting from Isaiah the passage that the Messiah would declare when he showed up on this planet. This is very clearly Jesus saying, I am the one. I am the one that God is going to send. I am here. The kingdom is here. Repent. In other words, change the way that you think because now the kingdom's here. You got to think a different way now because everything's about to change. And I love this. Some of you have probably heard this, but back back. Back in those times, in synagogues, they would have an empty chair in the front of the synagogue. And it was that way for, I don't know, 1,500 years, 430 years, I don't know. Somebody tell me. I need to study some of this history stuff. Sam's looking at me like, <coughs> get it right. But they had a chair. You know, just imagine that. Imagine there's an empty chair. And how, how, how long you been, how long you been coming to this church? Almost a year. Almost a year. Imagine for the past year that that chair, that chair just sat empty. Nobody ever sat in it, and you knew that one day somebody was going to walk into that room and sit down in that chair, and that was going to be the one that was the representative of God that was going to deliver us. Can you imagine the anticipation? I mean, you're talking hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of synagogues everywhere looking at this empty chair. And Jesus says, reads this, and he sits down in the chair for the Messiah. Mm -hmm. <sighs> he knew who he was. 
He knew who he was. But this is what he said, and, and, and this, is our, this is our focus. This is, this is the church. This is the, this is the, I mean, yes, go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples of all nations, lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover, cast out devils, all that stuff. That's the Great Commission, but it's because of what he said here. We can do all of that stuff because this is why he came. This is the reason that we go into the world and do all that stuff, because of this. Now, I'll give you a little bit of study tip here. This is Luke 4.18, and this is the King James. I posted, actually, in our Living Forward Facebook group uh, a, a link to a website that's got about 30 translations on it. But when God highlights a passage to me, one of the things I like to do is uh, I go over to Bible.cc, I pull up that one passage, and I'll just read all the different translations, just trying to get all the different angles. And then we'll also go through every word and look it up in the Greek through different study tools. We're going to have a class in 2016 of how to study the Bible, kind of help you understand how to use the study tools that are out there. It's, really, it's, it's easy, but you can go really deep with it as well. So this is what I did with this particular passage. You ever, you ever get a passage stuck in your heart? It's like you just can't shake it, you know. It's, it's, there's, you don't, I don't want to make a doctrine out of it. But there's lots of reasons that could happen. I mean, for you, it, it might be the birth of your ministry. I don't mean you run down and start you a 501c3, get a website, and now you're going into the ministry. I just mean this is what drives how you interact and take the gospel to the world. You know what I'm saying? This passage has been on me, and I, I think it's for where we're going for 2016 as a church, is to be this in our community. So what I did was I went through every phrase and every passage, and I just looked into the original and broke it down. And, you know, I love the root word studies. You find a word, then you find out which words make up that word, and they're all connected, and you get down to the deepest part of what, what's really being said here. See, because you strip away all of the traditional language that we have, you know, in, the, in our translations, and we miss the modern-day vernacular of what's really being said. I mean, I'm not saying that you have to study all that stuff to get it out of the Word because you've got the Holy Spirit who will teach you all of this stuff whether you intellectualize it or not. So don't worry if you feel like, don't. Now, I remember like in my early days, I would hear a teacher that really did a lot of, a lot of study and had a lot of theological background in what they would bring and I'd feel like, man, I've got, I'd feel so overwhelmed. Like there's just so much I've got to know and learn. And I, and I think that was the teacher in me being hungry but don't walk out of here feeling like you're inadequate because you don't go into the Greek. That's not the point. You've got the Holy Spirit of God living in you. Amen? So let's just look at this. This is Jesus. He's come out of the desert. He has conquered the enemy. He faced him, took his best shot, walked right out of him, walked into the city, and said, here I am. This is my public, the beginning of my public ministry, the beginning of my messianic walk on this planet. So he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. You look at these words, and what he's saying is this is God's will. What I am about to tell you is what God wants. All right? The spirit of the Lord is upon me. In other words, I speak for God. Listen, because this is what God wants for you. And this is a declaration to the entire planet. And again, he says, because he has anointed me. So he's saying, 
this is God's will, and I have the power to execute it. This is what God wants, and he has given me the power to walk this out. He says, I, this is the definition. I speak under God's authority and have the power to execute his will. So what is his will? To preach the gospel to the poor. What does gospel mean? That's all God has is good news. All, everything about God is good news. If you look at God and you have some not good news attached to it, it's because you're still thinking with a carnal mindset in some capacity. Now, I'm not saying you deny your circumstances. I'm not saying you deny sickness. I'm not saying you deny the humanitarian needs on this planet that the church needs to rise up and do something about. I'm just saying, if you look at those with no hope, it's time to repent, change the way that you think. You know, repentance doesn't mean run to God and tell him how sorry you are. It just means change the way you think. Go from carnal thinking to spiritual thinking. Oh, okay, yes. And that's what he wants to do is recover sight. So to preach the gospel to the poor. But when you build those definitions together, what he's saying is from now on, my message to those that are poor in spirit, poor in emotion, poor in your pocket, poor in your life's experiences, poor in your relationships or whatever it is, from now on, it's going to be okay. The good news to the poor is from now on, it's going to be okay. You know, I was thinking about this, and I, I told this in the first service, but have you ever seen the movie uh, As Good As It Gets yes. with Jack Nicholson? And I think it's Helen Hunt, right? Yes. Helen Hunt in this movie is a waitress. Jack Nicholson is a, uh, a... He's a bit nutty. He's an author, very, very wealthy author, very successful author. He's the kind of guy that walks and he won't step on the cracks when he's walking down the street, you know. <laughs> Takes his own silverware to the restaurant. I mean, he's just like very particular. But... In this movie, he goes in, and he's got this one restaurant that he likes, and he's got this one booth that he likes. If you've not seen it, it's really, it's really a funny movie. I mean, you know, there's some profanity, but it's Hollywood, so like you've never heard profanity before. Anyway. So one day, uh, Helen Hunt is his server, and that's his routine, man. He wants her, you know, and she's not there one day, and he, he just kind of panics. He doesn't know what to do, and so he finds out what's going on in her life, why she's not there that day, and he finds out that her son is sick, and he's got severe asthma. So what he does is he goes and he finds a doctor to send to their house to provide care for the boy. And she panics. She's like, okay, that's a gift this size that's going to change my life forever, maybe put me in the position where I don't have to worry anymore about my son, what do you want? Right? They're both single. She's thinking, okay, what? I know what he wants. Right? In fact, she goes to the door and knocks on his door in the middle of the night. She goes, I just want you to know I'm not going to sleep with you. He's like, what are you talking about? So she's thinking she can't receive this gift, right? But they have a conversation later on, and she reveals that what has done for her has forever changed her life. It has put her in a place where she doesn't have to worry anymore. That from now on, her son would be okay. That's what he's saying here. God has gone into your life 
and removed everything that would keep you from getting the care that you need from him, from his spirit. He's delivered you from the power of sin. He has delivered you from yourself. That's what I needed deliverance from. It's like the devil, me. This is what he's saying. It's going to be okay. The good news is from now on, it's going to be okay. Now, when you feel like it's not, then it's time to repent, change the way that you're thinking, and get back into that spiritual mindset. You've got a good father. He loves you. He has good plans for you. He wants to provide for you. His favor is going before you in this moment. God is busy on this planet arranging things for your benefit. Now, the reason you're not walking into them is because you're looking at your own strength and what you've gone through rather than him. Amen? You're going to be okay. He has sent me to heal. Again, affirming God's will is healing, right? In the beginning, he says, the Spirit of the Lord sent me. I'm telling you what God wants. He sent me to heal. Always, 100% of the time, no doubt, it is God's will to heal. Religion just... <laughs> Some of you probably have a hard time hearing that. You just got healed. God wasn't withholding it. Powerful healing. Watch her testimony on our website. It's, it's incredible. Sent me to heal. The word heal is to cure or make whole. The brokenhearted. God's not trying to break you. God is not trying to break your heart. You ever heard that? It's like, God needs me. I, I tell you what, I just, I just haven't gotten to the end of my rope yet. Because what God needs me to do is get to the most desperate, hopeless situation before he steps in and rescues me at the last minute before I fall into the jaws of the enemy. That's what's been taught out there. It's like, you know what? God's just waiting for you to get done. Whenever you know you get to the end of your rope, then he's going to come in. No. No. God is a sure foundation, not a dangling rope. God is not trying to break you down with circumstances so that you will be more appreciative of what he's done for you. No, he wants to make you whole. This is why he came. This is Jesus speaking for God. I came to mend you, mend the broken hearts. Brokenhearted means worn out, worn down, and it refers to a heart that has difficulty connecting to God. You ever feel like that? Well, it is God's will that Jesus walks you through the process that you can connect with God in your heart. For, and however that looks like for you, however emotion is involved with you or not, whatever it looks like for you, connecting with God is the reason, one of the reasons he came here. To preach deliverance to the captives. Man, we just get all kind of religious on this one, don't we? So we'll see deliverance. This is what deliverance means. We're going to fight the devil. No. You have been delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of his dear son. Yes, you might have some demons hanging around lying to you, oppressing you, but you have been delivered. You just need to believe it so that you can experience it. 
But that, the word doesn't even have anything to do with the enemy. What he's talking about, delivered, deliverance to the captives, what this means is Jesus came to declare a pardoning of sins. You know, the king would get someone in front of him and say, from now on, their sin is gone. From now on, their debt is gone. The king had the power to do that. You stand in front of the king, whatever he said, everybody else had to stick to. You know what God has said over you? From now on, sin has no power over you. From now on, the enemy has no power over you. It's like a Jedi mind trick. You just get us to... <laughs> you, you had, sin has no power over you. Sin has no power over me. Let God, you know. I just saw the new Star Wars movie, so I'm, it was amazing. To declare a pardoning, a release from bondage or imprisonment, which is very consistent with the prophecies about the coming new covenant all the way back to Ezekiel and Jeremiah. They prophesied that when the Messiah would come, he would bring the new covenant and the the, the very undergirding aspect of how God now relates to, is going to relate to you when the new covenant is here is God will no longer hold your sins against you. He will give you a new heart. Praise God. That's what he's doing here. He is declaring you're pardoned. Past, present, future, sin, forgiven. You don't even have to ask for it. You don't even have to tell God the wrongs that you've done to get him to forgive you. Is that incredible or what? And again, the religious run. You'd think, that, you'd think that we're setting people's hair on fire or something when you hear from the religious people that they don't like this. No, you can't tell people they're already forgiven. Well, Jesus did. He's declaring it. You strip away the, the, the traditional language, and what he is declaring is forgiveness for the entire planet. Now, forgiveness does not equal righteousness, Okay. You still have to receive the Spirit of God. You still have to receive Jesus as a sacrifice to be made righteous. But even the worst murderer stands forgiven because it's God's choice. Who does the forgiving? If I do something wrong to you and I choose to forgive you, but you don't receive it, I've still forgiven you. I'm not holding it against you. Maybe you can't receive it. It's like the gift. It's this gift that we have difficulty receiving. No, God's already forgiven everybody. That's the reason he can say he's not holding their sins against them. And we just get to go into the world and tell people that. It's safe. Now you can come back to God. <clears throat> Recovering of sight to the blind. This, you build these words together, and it comes up with a sentence kind of like this. Recovering of sight to the blind looks like this, is the capacity to look up when you're in the middle of it. I mean, when you are in the middle of it, when you are as bad as it gets for you, whatever your bad looks like, God, through Christ, gives you the capacity to, in the middle of that, look up. In the middle of sin, look up. In the middle of depression, look up. See, because there's grace for you in those moments. There is a grace that will come. It's like incense, you know, it just starts to rise up. It starts to, the aroma of it starts to fill the room, and you just start to smell the incense coming and filling up the room. You ever, you ever incense burners? 
you ever use incense or have you ever, you know, it's like you start it and you smell the stick and you smell it and you, for long, man, it's like, my gosh, this, I'm just, I'm being choked. There's so much incense in this room. That's like grace, but you have to yield to it. You're forgiven, you're righteous, but grace, you have to choose. You have to let your heart connect to it and it will rise up. You stand in a place of favor with God, but His grace is more than just His favor. It, it, is His, it is His influence on your heart. It is His presence rising up within you. And what it does is it gives you the capacity to stop where you are and look at Him and, re and remember what He did for you. Jesus came to say, I don't have to sit here and feel depressed. Yes, I can't pay that bill. Yes, this person is doing an incredible injustice to me. Yes, something needs to be done, but... God, in the middle of this, there's grace for me, and then I can walk through this. It doesn't matter what happens to you. Amen. Amen. To set at liberty is the, actually the same phrase as to bring deliverance or to preach deliverance. Uh, deliverance and liberty here are actually the same word. So, again, to declare a pardoning of sins, a release from bondage, to them that are bruised. The word bruised means brokenhearted or shattered. So there's deliverance. There is freedom. There is a, there is a, 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 a pardoning from those of you that have broken hearts. You ever had your heart broken? Well, Jesus says, I set you free from that. We don't think of it in those terms. We think this thing happened to me. This is what I feel. This is what I've been through. Right? But you can be set free from that. You can be set free from those circumstances having an effect on you. That'd be nice, right? How many of you have some things in your life? It's like, I don't want to feel this anymore about this. This is what he's talking about. I came to, bring, to give you freedom from that junk. Now just, just let him minister to your heart. But another definition of the word bruise is it's really interesting because you think about what a bruise is, right? Those of you medical people, forgive me because I'm going to get real non-medical. <laughs> but a bruise, you know, like you take a hit. You take a trauma, let's say on your arm. You take a trauma against your body, and it's painful. You get hit. And what happens is it breaks you know, the, the blood vessels, the capillaries, whatever, underneath your skin, and the blood goes to a place that it not, is not normally, and it coagulates, and it, it's for protection. A bruise is for protection so you don't bleed out. But we do that. We, we take a hit. We take a trauma emotionally or circumstantially in our lives, and so we toughen up. We harden our hearts. We close ourselves out. I'm not going to let you. I'm not, that is not going to happen to me again. And you start to kind of, you're kind of looking like you're going to do something like that. So, uh-uh, you're not coming in. And maybe it's people that you have to be around regularly. And you get harder and harder and harder because you've been bruised in that area. But a bruise is interesting because eventually what happens is it's so stagnant and coagulated that life can't flow through it. Blood can't flow through that area. And, and it's painful. A bruise is painful. And, and even when it starts to heal, when you start to open up, when that bruise starts to open up and everything starts to uh, heal, 
and the blood tries to flow through that area again, even, even life, even blood trying to flow back through that area again can be painful. And what I mean by that is we've all had things happen in our lives where we've hardened ourselves toward the world or toward people. And this is, this is a little counseling thing that happens that I've seen. So I just you, you're in my counseling office for a minute. Because I have good news for you. Because what happens is sometimes people will begin to connect with the truth and receive the gospel and experience freedom from religion, freedom from all the performance mentality. They, get, they just get set free. And it's like you wake up one day and you're like, my gosh, what have I been doing for 30 years in church? You know, I could have been this good all the time. And so then aspects of your heart, you start learning how to commune with God. You start learning how to actually have a relationship with God and connect with Him. And it's interesting because sometimes the more your heart begins to heal, the deeper you allow your present relationship based on the good news with God to go deep into your heart, sometimes old stuff will come up. In other words, it's like you've put different caps at different levels on your heart so when your heart's ready to heal at another deeper level, all that same junk that you stuffed down in that, under that lid is still there. So you take off that lid, okay, I'm ready to deal with this. Then maybe this bizarre behavior all of a sudden rises back up. And the same kind of destructive patterns that you ran before, all of a sudden they're back again. You're thinking, my goodness, I thought I was done with that. Why am I doing this again? A lot of times, because the heart is so dynamic, that when you start dealing with those areas that have been hurt, it gives you back all that stuff that you never dealt with to begin with. Does that make sense to you? So if you start to experience freedom, and then all of a sudden you start doing some destructive behavior, don't please don't blame it on the devil. Take some responsibility. Well, you see, the devil doesn't want me free, so he's just making me do this stuff. Well, come on. No. It's you. <laughs> It, but, but it's a good sign because it means you're ready to deal with some stuff. Am I speaking to you? Yes. Some of you will experience some freedom. It's like you take 10 steps forward and then like you jump off a cliff backward. <laughs> Wait a minute. What happened? Well, it's because you're, some things are coming out of your heart that maybe you never dealt with. But it's okay. Remember, Jesus says, from now on, it's going to be okay. There is no condemnation for those who are with me. I am not holding your sin against you. Your sin has been pardoned from you. I came to heal your broken heart. Now let's deal with it. And so that's when the church needs to become like a rehab facility. Don't raise your hand, but any of you ever been to a rehab facility? Don't raise your hand, please. Unless you want to. But. Substance abuse or alcohol or some type of rehab, you go in a place and you've been checked in and you're there, right? Everybody in there is messed up, and they admit it. That's the, that's the thing. Church, everybody's messed up, and they don't admit it. <laughs> you're righteous, but you've got some issues. You know what I'm saying? That's where the church needs to take a little bit of take a breather and not take ourselves so seriously and be like, you know what? I'm a human. Yes, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, but I still have the desires of walking in this earth. I need people. I need to be honest with people. I need to be encouraged by these people that we're doing church with. You know, the church, ultimately, it's a hospital. 
Jesus came to establish his church on, based on these principles, and that is deliverance and freedom and peace and not holding people's sins against them. Somebody comes in this church and they stand up and they declare your most hated sin, what are you going to do? Are you going to run them out? Or are you going to love on them? I hope so. Let's do that. What about your family? You know, you're getting ready to have Christmas dinner. Just made it through Thanksgiving. Some of you are dealing with people that are in your life and you have to. What are you going to do? You, you, there you go. Now, you got to figure out how, what love looks like in certain situations. I understand that. Yeah, sometimes it's silence. <clears throat> but the church is a hospital. The, the church is a place where we share the load. The church is a rehab facility. First off, we get, you know, recovered from religion. But then you sit around, you tell your stories, you identify, you connect with people, and, and we're here to help. You know, we just did this uh, uh, Christmas in Coweta thing, and those families will come in. They walk in that room, and they see that pile of presents sitting there that you just bought for their kids, and it, it hits them. It's like, oh, I'm not sure about this. This is all for us. You know, so there's that initial thing. And then we pray for them. And then we ask them, what else is going on? Is there anything else we can help you with? Then, then the tears come. Then the honesty comes. Then you hear the stories. It's like, oh, my goodness. And there are people in those rooms that you don't get to hear those kinds of stories a lot because you're just not around it. I mean, those of you that are in here that were in there... <laughs> You probably are still impacted by what you heard because people are just broken. They're just going through stuff. I think we are moving into a place in our community, in this church, where uh, we're, God's going to be bringing some broken people in here. Yep. God's bringing people in here that need healing. Yep. Broken people make messes because they have a hard time receiving love sometimes, and they'll kick and scream and fight against it. But you know what? We're ready. I think God has laid a foundation in this place. It's always going to be the gospel. This community is ready for the gospel. Yes. This state is ready for the gospel. And, and people are very receptive. And only the religious people don't want to hear it. But you know what? They can keep their churches. We'll just do what we do. So just be ready. You know, be, be in prayer about that. Be, be in prayer about... God, we, we want to be an agent of good news in this community. We want to be an agent of service in, the, in this community. We want, to, we want to be ready for people to come in this place and, 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 and us help them walk through this path of deliverance, help them walk through this path of experiencing who God really is. Because the number one thing we hear when people come to this church is they feel loved and they feel accepted. You know why? Take your finger like this. And go like this. Because <laughs> of you. It's because of you guys. It's because of the way that you treat people when they come here. They feel loved. and That's the number one thing we hear. So, Father, we, we thank you. We take it very, very seriously what Jesus has done for us. We're casual in this place, but we are incredibly serious about the gospel. We are incredibly serious 
when it comes to the souls of people. We want to be used by you in this community to set people free from religion, to help people experience freedom from the enemy, to help people experience freedom from the power of sin, to help people recover sight of what you've done for us, to help people just be free, to help people have a relationship with you, Lord. Jesus, we give you the honor. We give you the praise. May it be to your glory. May you get all the glory. It's all about you. We walk out of this place focused on you, remembering what you've done for us as we celebrate your birth this week. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Amen.